Um, I'm going to bring the reading this evening, so um, if you want to turn um, on your phone or in your Bible, um, it is John 11, chapter 17, verse 17. Jesus comforts the sisters. On his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem, and many Jews had come to Martha and Mary to comfort them in the loss of their brother. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him, but Mary stayed at home. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been there, my brother would not have died. But I know that even now, God will give you whatever you ask. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha answered, I know he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Those who believe in me will live, even though they die. And whoever lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? Yes, Lord, she told him. I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who was to come into the world. And after she had said this, she went back and called her sister Mary aside. The teacher is here, she said, and is asking for you. When Mary heard this, she got up quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet entered the village, but was, was still at the place where Martha had met him. When the Jews who had been with Mary in the house comforting her noticed how quickly she got up and went out, they followed her, supposing she was going to the tomb to mourn there. When Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who had come along with her also saw her weeping. He was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Where have you laid him, he asked. Come and see, Lord, they replied. Jesus wept. Then the Jews said, see how he loved him. But some of them said, could not he open the eyes of the blind man, have kept this man from dying? Jesus, once more deeply moved, came to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. Take away the stone, he asked, he said. But Lord, said Martha, the sister of the dead man, by this time there is a bad odor, for he has been there four days. Then Jesus said, did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? So they took away the, away the stone. Then Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me. But I said this for the benefit of the people standing here, that they may believe that you sent me. When he said this, Jesus called in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out, his hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth around his face. Jesus said to them, take off the grave clothes and let him go. Brilliant. Thank you so much, Hattie, for that reading. Uh, good evening, everyone. How are you doing tonight? Are you well? Yes, seven of you are. Brilliant. Um, it's good to see you tonight. Um, my name is Matt. I'm on the team. Uh, really excited to be here speaking about this, uh, on this subject of the I Am series. So uh, last week, we were looking at I Am the Good Shepherd, and Josh uh, spoke to us about that. And tonight, uh, I have this uh, topic of the, resurrect of the resurrection. <clears throat> Excuse me. I am the resurrection, says Jesus. This is one of the seven I ams in the book of John. This is the middle one. We've had three so far. But this is the middle one. We've got three more to come. And I think it's in the middle of these seven for a really particular reason. It's at the middle of these seven because it's of central importance to our faith. 
So last week, Josh, if you think back, if you, if you were here, if you weren't, uh, I am the good shepherd. Jesus says that I lay down my life for my sheep, only to take it up again. And tonight, Jesus saying, I am the resurrection and the life, almost picks up those themes again for us. Now, this whole idea of wanting to beat death and live forever has been in the human psyche for thousands of years. It's been part of culture and society. It's been part of music and the arts for thousands of years too. And I'm sure um, many of you here, like me, are uh, fans of the film Gladiator. Hands up if you're a Gladiator fan. The film Gladiator is on the screen right now, I think. Uh, Yes. Uh, Yes, come on. Even if it's been, even if you've watched it ten times and it's on TV, you still find yourself watching it again, right? It's sort of like, I know this. It's it's just something I go to whenever it's on TV. I will watch it. And uh, anyway, Maximus Decimus Meridius, this man, this gladiator, is seeking immortality because in those days, the Roman times, uh, you kill loads of people in battles in the Colosseum and you gain immortality. And there's that quote, isn't there? Uh, Whatever you do today echoes in eternity. And the winner of of the, the, the gladiator, the top gladiator of the time would have almost godlike status on earth and immortality status in death. And then you think to the arts, you think to the music scene. Um, I grew up listening to a lot of Queen music. My um, uh, auntie was a massive Queen fan. She gave me a, a double CD of the best of Queen early on in my life and got me into Queen. I, I think that was a great uh, music education. And I remember uh, as a boy uh, singing those words along with Freddie Mercury, who wants to live forever, you know those songs. And um, thank you so much. And um, anyway... Uh, Anyway, the, that, that, mo- that sort of passionate cry from Freddie Mercury, who wants to live forever, who wants to live forever. Um, he's not the only one that sang about it, though. I'm a child of the 90s. I also then grew up with Britpop. And then a few years later had Oasis, Liam Gallagher singing those songs, gonna live forever. And Liam Gallagher was then singing the songs. And I somehow found myself thinking, gosh, all these artists and people pursuing this idea of living f- forever. Well, this idea of living forever, this pursuit of immortality, is not just an ancient uh, thing. It's a recent thing as well. It's, it exists because I think we have an inherent fear of death. Death, I think, haunts us, each and every one of us. We can feel helpless against it. It's like a tyrant that can't be stopped. It's like a monster that will destroy everything in its path. And today, of all days, on Remembrance Sunday, we're thinking again of those who've given their lives, sacrificially paid the ultimate price, given their life for other people's freedom. Well, it was into the fear and into that fear that Jesus spoke these words. Jesus, the one, the only one who had the power to stand against death and to stand up to it and to save us from it. And Jesus is the one who gives us the invitation Each and every one of us gives us a hope in the face of death. So with this statement, I am the resurrection of the life, he is announcing a new way of viewing death and a new way of dealing with death and what happens to each of us. So three questions for us I'd like to explore today then. What was going on in this scene that Hattie just read, this this moment where Lazarus is brought back to life? What did Jesus mean by these words? I am the resurrection and the life. And then thirdly, why should we 
look to him and why should we believe what he said? So I'm going to use three lenses tonight to, to look at this. I'm going to look at uh, the reality of what was going on, the promise of what was said, and then the fulfillment of what that means for us. Now, this is a, this is a massive topic. I'm not going to cover uh, everything to do with resurrection and uh, a theology of everything in, in 20, 30 minutes. But if you want to look into it, um, come to me and ask me for books and uh, theologians. I can point you to many, many different resources. So firstly, let's look at this, the reality, the reality of what was going on. Let's rewind to the start of chapter 11. This is a situation of a guy called Lazarus who had two sisters, Mary and Martha. And Lazarus is unwell at the beginning of the chapter. He's a friend of Jesus. And you may uh, remember those names, Mary and Martha. Uh, There's a story in Luke 10 where Jesus is at the house uh, having some sort of dinner, having some sort of conversation. Martha's running around in the kitchen trying to work out what to do, getting everything ready, tidying the house. And Mary is simply sat at Jesus' feet listening to what he's saying, uh, pouring out devotion and worship to him. These were good, good friends of Jesus, close family friends. And Jesus is told early on in the chapter by his sisters, Mary and Martha, by these sisters, Mary and Martha, that Lazarus is ill. But having heard that he's ill and he's dying, Jesus doesn't rush there immediately. He stays where he is and he doesn't rush to visit or heal Lazarus. But when he does arrive, it's too late. When he does arrive, uh, Lazarus has died and probably been dead for three or four days. And Jesus arrives at this scene where there is confusion and where there are tears and where there is anger towards Jesus and where there is grief. And they know what Jesus can do. They've seen him heal. They've seen him do amazing things. They know that if he had come... And been there on time and not been late, he would have uh, saved Lazarus, healed him. And they're desperate for him to show up and sort this situation out. Mary, Martha, Martha says to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. And Jesus then has this interaction with Martha that she thinks is to do with the resurrection at the end of time, uh, on the last day. And standing with Jesus at the grave of her brother... And his friend, Jesus, declared these words, I am the resurrection and the life. And what follows then in verses 33 to 35 is perhaps one of the most precious moments, I think, in the whole of the gospel accounts. It says this, that Jesus was greatly disturbed in spirit and deeply moved. And then, uh, verse 34, it says this, Jesus wept, the shortest verse in the Bible, just two words, Jesus wept. I think it's probably one of the most powerful verses in the Bible, because here is a moment of Jesus's total humanity. As he enters the anguish and the grief of his friends, his heart is filled with pain and sorrow. But there is more to it than this. There is more to it than this. John's gospel was written to a Greek audience in those times, And it was written uh, to the Greeks, uh, trying to describe to them what God is like. And that's the whole purpose of these seven I am statements. What is God like? Jesus saying, I am like this. I am the good shepherd. I am the bread of life. I am the way, the truth, and the life. And the Greeks would have read this one sentence, Jesus wept, and just thought, that is staggering. That would have been staggering to the Greek audience. 
because uh, to a Greek audience, a God was not to experience uh, suffering from us. They argued that uh, if someone can have that effect on them, then they can't be a God. If a person has an effect on uh, God with an outpouring of sorrow or grief, then they have power over that person. So how can uh, this situation have power over this person, Jesus, who's claiming to be God? So the Greeks believed in an isolated God, a passionless God, a compassionless God. And suddenly, this is a different picture of a totally different God. That Jesus displayed tears and anguish and suffering. He is showing us a God who is, whose heart is wrung with anguish for the anguish of his people. The greatest thing that Jesus did was to bring us the news of a God who cares for us, a God who cares for you. So tonight, do you know this? Do you know that you have a God who knows your deepest pain, your deepest suffering, your feelings of anguish? If your heart is broken, uh, know tonight that you have a God whose heart is broken for you. And he weeps when you weep. I know many of you, and I know many of your stories, and I know uh, many of what you guys have uh, walked through and experienced and journeyed through. Nay and I ourselves at the moment are going through friends back in London who are uh, dealing with uh, real suffering, end-of-life fears, marital breakdown, unexpected tragedy. The grief and the pain are real, and the fear and the pain of death is deep and real. It's not just a a bland certainty. Death is horrid and cruel, often unkind, unexpected, and devastatingly unfair. Jesus knew that, and he knows that for us as well. He knows it because he's experienced it as a human. And into that reality, into that tough reality, Jesus speaks a promise of hope. So secondly, after the reality comes the promise. And what's the promise? It's Jesus's astonishing claim that he is the resurrection. He explains what this means, and he explains the significance of it in the next sentence. And it's a promise that says this, whoever believes in me, though they die, they shall live. Even though they shall die, they shall live. He is saying that he is the resurrection, and he's promising the resurrection for others. Now, I'm not sure what you think of when you hear the word resurrection. When you think of the idea of being resurrected, it might, uh, you might have some misconceptions. You might have some uh, different thoughts going on in your mind. And it might just be worth me uh, outlining some things that it's maybe not that you might think it is, just to help you. Firstly, I'm going to go through these. Firstly, he's not talking about um, your reputation like Maximus Decimus Meridius. He's not talking about your, uh, your influence living on after you. Like a sort of, uh, like your achievements live on and you gain immortal status. Whatever you do today echoes in eternity. Jesus isn't talking about uh, that. He's talking about your life actually continuing beyond death. Secondly, he doesn't mean uh, living on after death just spiritually, like we would sort of float around as spirits in the sky. Jesus is talking about life after death physically. The Bible teaches that uh, those who know and trust in Jesus will go on to be with him in spirit when they die. But that's just a stop on the journey, not the destination. The destination is the resurrection of our bodies. 
to live in a renewed universe, heaven and earth renewed, to be raised one day, to, be, uh, to have life as physical as it is now, but infinitely better. Infinitely better because the Bible promises there'll be no more pain or suffering. We won't get sick and we won't get old and die. One day we will live in a world where there, was no, where there will be no more evil and no more suffering. And I can't wait for that day. Thirdly, Jesus doesn't mean uh, resuscitation. Resuscitation is when you uh, revive someone, bringing them back to life, but they will then ultimately eventually die again at some point. This story of Lazarus is a story of resuscitation. Uh, Jesus brings Lazarus back to life, but uh, we probably know then that he will then go on to die at a later date. It seems that many people want to um, maybe extend their lives. And I was doing a little bit of research about this uh, as I was doing my research for my talk. Uh, there's a place where in America you can pay a mere $200,000, if you've got that sort of spare cash, to preserve your life. This place is in Arizona. It's called the Alcor Life Extension Foundation. And it deals with something called cryonics. I don't know if you're a scientist here, if you're uh, into that sort of thing. But for $200,000, you can, at the point of death, preserve your body, freeze it, and then, at some point in the future, when medicine might have progressed and, and uh, improved, they might be able to treat your illness and bring you back to life in the future. The mind totally boggles. I have no idea how this works, uh, how it might work, what the thinking and, and theory is behind it. But for $200,000, if you fancy it, you can give it a go. Uh, 200 people apparently have done that, and they are in Arizona waiting to be resuscitated. My, my, my mind totally boggles when I think about this. Uh, don't go down that Google rabbit hole, because it's, it's, um, it was a waste of 10 minutes of my life. Um, <laughs> but Jesus isn't talking about resuscitation. He is talking about resurrection, which is different to resuscitation. Jesus is promising life forever for us being raised to a new, eternal, indestructible life, never to die again. Fourthly then, and lastly, this is something that's not automatic. It doesn't happen to us automatically when we die, resurrection. Jesus says this, um, whoever believes in me, though they die, they shall live. This invitation is open to each and every one of us. All of us are given this invitation, but it's for whoever believes. And again, part of John's purpose of writing all these I am statements is to challenge us and make us think about whether we believe this. He's doing it to say, do you believe that about Jesus? Jesus is saying about that, that about himself. Do you believe that to be true? So, let's look at the second part of the promise. The, the first is I am the resurrection. The second is this, that I am the life. I am the life. Whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Jesus uses this word life here to talk about our spiritual life, not just our physical one, but our spiritual lives. He's indicating that the gift of eternal life that he came to promise isn't uh, just for when we die, but it's for here and now. John 10 verse 10, we read last week, says this, I've come that they may have life and have it to the full. Without the gift of eternal life, we're just merely simply existing. We're not enjoying the fullness of life for which God made us. The original Greek that, that John would have written uh, uses the word zoe for life. It means, uh, it doesn't just mean life as in existence. That was the word bios, where we get sort of biology from. 
Zoe is this God-given eternal life, something to completely, completely different. Life in all its fullness, right here, right now. I don't know what you think of when you hear that, life in all its fullness. What does it mean to you? Uh, Nay and I um, have got three kids, and we were, a couple of years ago, having a new New Year's Day walk with some friends, some of our best friends, and we've got three kids, and they've got three kids as well. So there were six children, two uh, between four adults, and we went out on this New Year's Day walk, one of those ones where you have to wrap up warm. We said, right, we're going to go for a walk. We're going to try and walk for a couple of hours. We're down in Cornwall. And then uh, we've got this lovely, lovely sort of farm cafe place, and we're like, right, this is a great place to stop, get some food, uh, recharge, and go again. We went to this place, and you can picture the scene, cold winter's day, and the fire was lit in the corner. We like got some sofas, got everyone sat around, and we said to the kids, uh, you've done so well, your reward is some treats. So we went off to buy uh, some treats for the kids, and um, our friends went off to buy six ice creams. And we went off to buy six hot chocolates, not knowing that they were buying six ice creams, thinking uh, we both thought that the other was buying treats, basically. So we got back, and suddenly these, our kids had sat down, and before they knew it, they had not just a hot chocolate but an ice cream. They had a hot chocolate, and their faces were like, oh, my goodness, we really walked a long way. This is amazing. And so, so we had six kids sat down with a whole load of hot chocolate, a whole load of ice cream. And there was total silence for about 15 minutes. It was amazing. We sat there just sort of watching these kids just in total um, satisfaction with life. They'd walked this long journey. They'd battled the elements. They'd sat down. They'd got uh, not just an ice cream, but hot chocolate. And we all looked at each other and just went, this, this is perfection. Because the kids were quiet. Uh, we'd, we'd achieved something. And we just thought, wow, this is brilliant. Anyway, uh, Theo, having uh, had a bit of hot chocolate and a bit of ice cream, he sort of sat back in his sofa like this in the, uh, in the cafe and just went, this is the L-I-F-E. <laughs> We're like, where did that come from? What's, what do you mean? He's like, this is just brilliant. I've got my best friends here. I've got my family here. I've got my hot chocolate, my ice cream. Anyway, that was for him. That was this moment of like life in all its fullness. He had a, he had a roaring fire. He had his best friends. He had his family. He had a hot chocolate and ice cream. And um, anyway, it, <laughs> whatever the... Uh, sorry, my uh, sc- screen time password just come up. That's exciting. Um, <laughs> anyway, whatever, your, whatever life in all its fullness looks like for you, God wants us to live it. Eternal life, the promise of eternal life means uh, the promise when we die, but also life now for us. I used to have a great youth leader who had this catchphrase, really punchy catchphrase. But you might have heard it. Uh, it says, Jesus didn't prom- come just to give us pie in the sky when we die but steak on our plate while we wait. <laughs> I thought that was good. I've remembered it for a few years, so I pass it on to you. Uh, steak on your plate while you wait. A little corny perhaps, but it's true. Eternal life, resurrection life starts for us here and now today. So we've looked at the reality of what was going on in Jesus' world, the pain that he experienced, the promise that he then promised to uh, Mary and Martha. Let's look then at the fulfillment. The third thing, the fulfillment, the promise that Jesus made at the grave of Lazarus three days after Lazarus died by raising him to life was then brought into completion by Jesus himself. He rose from the dead three days after dying and it will be made fulfilled, fulfilled in us and through us when, he, when we raise, uh, raise from the dead as well. 
I mentioned Jesus' humanity when he wept at the grave. And this shows that he defeated uh, death. But it shows us also that he is not just fully human, but fully God. His resurrection will one day be fulfilled in us for those of us who believe. There's a song that we sing uh, at the moment uh, called Son of Suffering. It says this, blood and tears, how can it be? There's a God who weeps. There's a God who bleeds. Oh, praise the one who would reach for me. Hallelujah to the son of suffering. We will one day be raised with Jesus, with resurrection bodies, to be with him in heaven forever. Now, we don't know exactly what that looks like. We don't know exactly uh, how that will happen. But we know it will be a joyful and amazing day and a moment. If you've ever been to a funeral service, there's a prayer at the end that reminds us of this uh, hope that we have to look forward to. It says this, uh, ensure and certain hope of the resurrection to eternal life for all who trust in Jesus, who will change our frail and fragile mortal bodies to be like his glorious resurrection body. The hope that we can have is not fleeting and uh, uncertain. It is sure and certain because of Jesus. And if we then fast forward later into the New Testament, uh, Paul writes in Philippians chapter 3, he says this. This is his testimony of being someone who came to Christ uh, having been far away and almost against uh, the message of Jesus and the person of Jesus. He writes this. He has his life turned around and his testimony is then, I want to know Christ, to know the power of his resurrection and and participate in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. So I'm going to finish tonight with uh, turning all this uh, onto us, onto you. We've looked at the statement, I am the resurrection and the life. We've looked at the promise of what it means to us, that even though we will die one day, we can know the promise of eternal life, and we can know the promise of life in all its fullness today. There's a moment, I don't know if you caught it, where Jesus turns to Martha and simply says this. And I love Jesus' sort of directness. He sort of turns to Martha and says, do you believe this? Do you believe this? And it's a question that I think if Jesus was here amongst us now, he would probably ask us the same thing. Do you believe this? Do you believe this? You might say, yes, I believe this. I totally believe this. You might say, no, I'd like to believe, but I've got loads of questions and I'm struggling to to have faith. I'm struggling. I need more evidence. Well, if you've got those questions, I would encourage you to to bring them somewhere. Take them to Alpha in the new year. Bring those questions to uh, people to to chew over, to ask, to look into those, uh, yeah, those big, big questions that we all have at some point in our lives. And there's a book uh, by this, this book is uh, by Frank Morrison, a guy uh, who wrote as a journalist to disprove the resurrection. He said, it can't be true. I'm going to set out to disprove, disprove it and look into the evidence for it. And as he did that, as he looked more and more into the evidence to disprove the resurrection, he found more and more evidence for it. So his book that he thought was going to disprove the resurrection turned out to be his testimony of believing in the resurrection. It's called Who Moved the Stone? I really, really recommend that if you are interested in that. 
Finally then, if you are in that place of just thinking like, I sort of believe this, but I need to fully believe this, I came across this quote from a, a theologian and writer called H.A. Williams, Harry Williams. He was in Cambridge uh, about 50 years ago, and he said this. He talked about the mystery of the resurrection, where we can't fully understand it, but we have a little taste and a little glimpse of it. He said this, if our hearts are even slightly stirred by the hope of resurrection now, it is a sign that the miracle is upon us. I love that. It's a sense of like, I have a little stirring in me of the hope of the resurrection. And he would say that is a sign that the miracle is upon you. In a moment, we're going to sing, um, as part of our worship, we're going to sing that uh, song by uh, Hillsong. It's the song called The Creed, where it's, it's outlining the, uh, the beliefs of the church. I believe in the resurrection. I believe that when Jesus comes again, we will rise with him in glory. I believe uh, in what he has done for me. I believe in what he will do for us as we put our faith and trust in him. So um, in a moment, we're going to, after communion, we're going to sing that together. And I really encourage you in that moment, if you have that stirring, that tiny stirring of, of hope in the resurrection, or maybe you're full of faith, wherever you're at, uh, tonight is almost like a, re, a moment of rededication for us to say, Lord, I, I believe. Lord, I want to believe a bit more. Lord, would you help me in that gift of faith? As I finish tonight, I'm going to read um, just some words from a, an old hymn called Love Divine, just as a prayer for us as we respond. So maybe just uh, close your eyes right where you are. Uh, think about all the things that uh, you've heard tonight. Maybe there's something that you've been challenged by. Maybe something that you longed just to bring to God. And let's hear these words from this old hymn. Finish then thy new creation. True and spotless let us be. Let us see thy great salvation. Perfectly restored in thee. Changed from glory into glory. Till in heaven we take our place. Till we cast our crowns before thee. Lost in wonder, love and praise. Jesus, tonight we thank you for those words. I am the resurrection and the life. Thank you, Lord, that you came to say those words to us, to offer that promise to us. And Lord, you defeated death for us. You rose again. You didn't just say the words, you, did, you demonstrated it with your own life. And tonight, Lord, we pray that we would live in that power the power of resurrection, the sure and certain hope of the life to come and the promise of life in all its fullness here and now today. And Father, we pray that whether we're full of faith or whether we are just starting out wondering what we think and believe, that God, you would give us the gift of faith. That as you stir in us that hope, that we would know, God, that you are alive and you are at work in us. So, Jesus, we thank you for those true words. Thank you, God, that we can trust you in our pain and in our suffering. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.